Welcome to Cinema Chop Shop. Watch, chop, retrofit. I want to give a plug to Richburg Auto and Electrical on East Palmetto. They fixed my car for about half of what I expected it to be. They have worked on my car a couple of times. Yeah. They're great. They're very straightforward. Um, they remind me a lot of Creel. These are very local plugs. <laughs> very specific. But this is not an automotive maintenance <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I almost said playlist. I'm clink and clank. Yeah. <laughs> Click and clack. Yeah, whatever they're called. I'm Welcome to Cinema that, Chop yeah. Shop. This is a movie podcast that comes out when we feel like doing it. Mm-hmm. And this month we've been doing... For spooky month. Knockoff movies every week. So uh, we're wrapping it up. This is the fourth one. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to talk about a classic. I would say so. A great mm-hmm. film, The Exorcist. Uh, has has tremendous longevity. I was just re-watching it today, and it holds up. It does. Oh, it yeah. is a great movie. Uh, Todd and I were talking before you arrived. It's, uh, by the way, this is uh, Sean. I'm joined with Travis and Todd. Uh, the, the power, power of Christ, Christ compelled us me. to be here. There you go. <laughs> On cue. And that was unplanned. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but I had planned you, to do that when you introduced me today. Me too. So when, me yeah, too. So. Great minds. Yeah. Before yeah. you arrived, Todd and I were talking about this movie. It's just a damn good movie. Uh huh. And one thing I think that will be clear with a lot of the knockoffs that we discuss is that they don't understand there is a substantial amount of character setup and development mm-hmm. early on in the film that mm-hmm. comprises at least two thirds. The first. So I actually paused it when because. Uh, the break between the first part of the movie and the second part, of course, is when I can't remember his name, but the friend goes flying out of the window and they find him dead. And then Reagan comes in that rest, like that gymnastic position down the stairs. Yep. And that's like at the one hour and one minute mark or something. And so up until then it's been built up. What's wrong with her little clues that there's some kind of, shit going down with her and, and pee fi- too yeah. she pees on the floor yeah the, yep. the pee scene was very disturbing because mm-hmm. it was such a breaking a social more kind of thing we just don't pee in front of each other uh by the way i'm gonna do an early beer check-in we'll, okay we'll, we'll clock another one in midway through but i'm drinking sycamore's drippy drippy ipa i thought the uh artwork and the name lend itself that is excellent to, uh, artwork yeah it lends itself to the exercise i, yeah, I just does. picture that Drippy green. You got that drip? Goo. It's got that drip, drip, drip. So I'm going to put that out here for everybody. It'll actually work perfect for the Manitou, as I'll discuss uh, later on. <laughs> All right. So, Exorcist, 1973. Directed by the late William Friedkin. He died uh, this year. This year, in mm-hmm. August. Yep. Uh, Friedkin uh, directed The French Connection, another great movie that holds up pretty it was well. It's freaking great. <laughs> it was freaking great. Uh, and To Live and Die in L.A. from the mid-80s, that was another one of his uh, good films. A Sorcerer is highly underrated. Uh, it's a remake, essentially, of the uh, film The Wages of Fear. It was it, it kind of it was like a box office bomb when it came out, and so it got ignored for years, but I highly recommend people check that one out, especially if you've seen Wages of Fear and like that movie. Yeah. I don't hate it. It's high on the bitterness scale. Yeah. Very bitter. If you're a super a lot taster. Of, a lot of those uh, IBUs. Yes. And UBBs. Um, the film stars Ellen Burstyn in a great performance. Mm-hmm. A single oh, yeah. mom trying to hold shit together. Max von Sydow mm-hmm. playing the elder priest. The yep. titular exorcist. 
and uh, Linda Blair, the young Linda Blair, which we already mentioned her, pigeonholed, marred by this uh, role. Very much so. I think it um, damaged her career in the long run. I think, though, like just taken on its own, her performance is pretty like spellbinding. Yeah. yeah. Um, reminds me a lot of a recent horror film that came out called Talk to Me. When the um, characters are unpossessed or normal, they look so much different than they do when they're possessed. And both films are done with entirely practical effects. Yeah. Good point. Uh, also in the film, you've got Jason Miller playing the younger priest. Uh-huh. And Lee J. Cobb. Guido Sarducci. <laughs> Lee J. Cobb playing the... Uh, the cop, yeah. uh, the, the, the film loving cop. Yes, uh-huh. yes, yes. More about the film. It starts out with uh, Max in the Middle East. Yeah, that yes. prologue uh, is really weird and interesting. Um, the juxtaposition of the like Islamic setting with a very Catholic yeah. narrative in the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. And he comes across the very Haxon looking statue in the middle of. Uh, the dig. It's a relic. Let's yeah. It's a relic. And then there's that amazing shot of him, you know, when it shows uh, him facing off with the statue. And I guess it's, you know, he's sensing because he's sweating and nervous before mm-hmm. this even happens. And so I assume he's having some sort of premonition about what he's going to be facing, you know, in the not too distant future, right? Is that how me, we interpret Me too. That? That's why I'm sweaty and nervous. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the thing about exorcisms, and this is where you've got this really crazy divergence from reality and fantasy. There are a shitload of exorcism films out oh, there. And yeah. the, the knockoffs, the ripoffs, to even people trying to do something novel with the uh, art of exorcism or the act of exorcism, the Catholic Church kind of frowns on them. They don't. They don't really believe in them. They don't practice well, them. It's I will. Those... I will speak to that with one of my picks tonight. Okay, uh, it's one of those things where where the Catholic Church, at least publicly, has said, you know, that's not something we do. That's it's something... interesting too because there were at least two actual priests who had uh, roles in this film. Um, I can't remember the the the, the names, but um, one of them was a technical advisor who also had a small part. Right. And the other one had a pretty important part. I think it was the guy that, who's in the last scene. Yeah. Um, that guy. I think he was an actual priest. Yeah, it's funny. We were mentioning this. Uh, have you heard this week's uh, side stories from uh, last podcast on the left? Yes. They mentioned this movie. Uh, there was a serial killer or a murderer who was actually in the film as a bystander um, out on the street. Oh, with, wow. With, with the police. Yeah, I, I, I should have made a note about the, the name of the... Uh, killer but yeah listen to the last podcast they, they talk about that so another crazy weird thing about this movie yeah so it was a fa- the guy that played father joseph uh was also father william o'malley's his name in real life and, why'd they uh, even change it yeah it's yeah, so <laughs> catholic irish catholic <laughs> so yep. on the nose mm-hmm. william o'malley exactly and then father tom was played also by father thomas uh birmingham okay um can so. I sprinkle in some fun facts? Well, yeah, go for it. It's a very fun movie. It is a fun movie. Um, in the scene where Reagan projectile vomits on Father Karras, the vomit was intended to hit Jason Miller in the chest, but the plastic tubing misfired, hitting him in the face. 
His reaction of shock and disgust while wiping away the vomit, the drippy, drippy vomit, <laughs> is genuine. And Miller admitted to admitted in interviews that he was very angered by the mistake. Okay. okay. Thank goodness for the film, right? And that's not the only time he got very angry in this production. I'll get to another one in a little bit. Yeah. Jason Miller's an interesting guy because uh, was it, he was mainly known for being a, a playwright. Right. Um, yeah. He wrote that championship season, I think, was his famous play that he won a Tony Award for and all that. And so it's interesting that, you know, does he, do you, do you know of any other movies that he was in that, of note? I didn't um, really dig yeah, into I, it. I, I think this was it. I was too busy much. watching shitty knockoffs this week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give me another. Another, this is also a Jason Miller one. Uh, he had a major verbal confrontation with William Friedkin after, after the director fired a gun near his ear to get an authentic reaction from him. He told Friedkin that he was an actor and that he didn't need a gun to act surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Friedkin is an asshole. If you've ever watched any interviews with him, he oh, has, not. he's a bit of a he, dick. He's very crusty. Yeah, crusty is um, a good word. Yeah. Um, he was talking shit about uh, somebody, uh, Quentin Tarantino, in some interview I saw. Um, I forgot what the context of it was, but um, he was like, well, Quentin's full of shit or something like that. <laughs> One of the things I like about this movie is that when Ellen Burstyn's confronted with this episode that mm-hmm. hit her daughter's condition, she approaches everything with religion being the last on the list. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think another thing that you'll see in these knockoff movies is that they issue all of that kind of, uh, uh, skepticism completely and dive right in. Yeah. Right into the, into the, the, the spirituality side of it. And the the ones that I have, there are disbelievers. Okay. uh, Okay. That's cool. Interesting. Uh, but I do really appreciate the thing about the exorcist was that this was the last resort. She, she, she tried everything. And for me, one of the most excruciating things about this movie is the spinal tap scene. Oh yeah. I think that that part of it was just as terrifying as anything on the whole demonic exorcism side of things. Would you say that that scene took it to 11? It did. It did. (laughs) But that first part of the movie, uh, is really what part of what makes it work, what makes it a classic versus just, you know, yeah. some a horror movie because you get to know these characters. You go on a journey with them of discovery because we don't know for sure that she's possessed either. We see her doing weird things, but she mm-hmm. could just be mentally ill. Is she schizophrenic? They have several. They, they don't want to go to psychiatry right away. That's a big thing in the movie. Yeah. Uh, they don't want the doctor doesn't want them to uh, or him uh, to, her to go to a psychiatrist right away. Well, there's also um, skepticism on the part of like the diocese. They're like, yep. there's only so many documented, undisputable cases of actual demonic possession. I think that's what kind of separates this from being a fine film and just a feature flick with some blood and gore and some supernatural shit. You know, you think of a movie that a contemporary film not set, not too far away in terms of release was like Rosemary's baby. Just where, rewatched it last night. Where one of my mood mood is everything. Yes. The yes. setup is everything. And the, the payoff is, is eclipsed by the quality of the movie the itself. Arc. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think that this movie is reflective of that same kind of sensibility where you've got a nice 
character study mm-hmm. and a nice uh, a juxtaposition of a supernatural event happening in a real world and how real world people handle it. You can, and we didn't know shit at the time, but you can kind of see uh, some of Polanski's perversions come through <laughs> on the screen in this in this movie just Rosemary's baby. Yeah. Yes. I think we should, uh, we should, uh, we should do a, a little study of this, of that movie too mm-hmm. down the line. That's a good one. Really good. About. Yeah. Really, really good. Um, and I know we're not talking about Rosemary's baby for the show, but this is not a John, Rosemary's baby podcast. Yeah, John Cassavetes. Yes. Um, his character is so unlikable. Um, oh yeah. Totally. Even when he's, even at the beginning before any of the shenanigans start to go down, when he's trying to be genuine, it just comes off as smarmy. Mm-hmm. Totally. Absolutely. Anything else about the, uh, the exorcist, uh, Tra- Travis, do you have some, some more nuggets? I do. You want to impart? Um, on the first day of rehearsing the exorcism scene, Linda Blair's delivery of foul mouthed dialogue. So disturbed the gentlemanly Max von Sydow that he actually forgot his lines. Um, According to director William Friedkin, the subliminal shots of the white-faced demon are actually rejected makeup tests for Reagan's possessed appearance. Oh, I didn't Uh, know that. Due to death threats against Linda Brayer from religious zealots who believe the film glorified Satan, Warner Brothers had bodyguards protecting her for six months after the film's release. Yeah, people gonna be people. Dumbasses. And one final fun fact... The studio wanted Marlon Brando for the role of Father Caras or Father Marin. Can you imagine? Yeah. Could you imagine? <laughs> Director William Friedkin immediately vetoed this by stating that with Brando in the film, it would become a Brando movie instead of the important film he wanted to make. Coincidentally, Brando is also mentioned in the novel. Satan! Yeah. Satan! I could have been an exorcist. <laughs> Well, then, with that bit of knowledge... We're going to get into some knockoffs? Let's get into the whole point of the episode. Let's talk about some knockoffs. Travis, you're going to go first. I'll go first. And my first entry uh, in this study, as it were, is going to be very lighthearted. Um, this is a movie that I rewatched recently, and I've seen it probably about four times. Uh, it's very much a comedy, if if not a horror comedy. Um it's called This is the End, directed by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg from 2013. Ten years ago, man. Ten years ago this wow. movie came out. It does not seem that long. We got an 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, in Hollywood, actor James Franco is throwing a party with a slew of celebrity pals. Among those in attendance are his buddies Jonah Hill, Seth Rogen, Jay Baruchel, Danny McBride, and Craig Robinson. Suddenly, an apocalypse of biblical proportions erupts, causing untold carnage among Tinseltown's elite and trapping Franco's party in his home. As the world they knew disintegrates outside, cabin fever and dwindling supplies threaten to tear the six friends apart. Uh, so the, the movie itself is hilarious. I think that it very much holds up for the past decade. Um, it's great that all of the the characters are playing themselves but there's one scene or a couple of scenes in particular that are a direct 
parody of The Exorcist. Okay. So during this apocalyptic event, there's demons that are roaming the streets of Hollywood, and you don't see them at first. It's meant for the reveal later. Um, but one of them makes his way into Jonah Hill's room and essentially rapes him. Now, he's asleep and dreaming at the time and uh, first first thinks that it's just a dream. But in doing so, this demon possesses Jonah Hill. And then we get the, the uh, interstitial title card, The Exorcism of Jonah Hill. Okay. Well, and, that is at least in part a uh, parody of Rosemary's Baby because the line yes. is the same, right? Uh, this, this isn't is, really happening. This is really happening. This yeah. isn't a dream. This right. is really happening. Once again, another parallel. Right. Very good. Mm-hmm. So that night, Jonah prays for Jay to die and is possessed by a demon. While Craig and Jay head to a neighbor's house to scavenge for supplies, Seth and James get attacked by the possessed Jonah. Jay and Craig return to help subdue Jonah, tying him to the bed. During an exorcism attempt, where they absolutely say the power of Christ compels you, and then reference that the only thing they know is from the movie The Exorcist, (laughs) Um, (laughs) Jay and Seth fight and knock over a candle, starting a fire that engulfs Jonah and the house and (laughs) forces the others outside. It is fantastic. I love that movie, too. It's a good one. They're... They're definitely doing a send up in this in this segment of The Exorcist, but they're also very much it's a very it's very knowing. Yeah, it's a meta. They, it's meta. Yes. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. Uh, so some themes that occur in both are supernatural presence and demonic forces, religious and satirical themes, and supernatural horror elements and parody. Okay. Okay. So that's my first one. This is the end. If you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor. All right, Todd, you're up. All right. I'm going to start with a film that came out just the year after uh, The Exorcist, so it was kind of trying to hop right on that bandwagon. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Antichrist, um, sometimes also known as The Tempter. Hmm. Um, It's directed by a guy named Alberto De Martino, who is one of these Italian directors that we keep talking about who keeps, you know. They churn it out. Churn it out. Spaghetti Westerns. You know, this Giallo. kind of movie, Giallo, what, you know, whatever, whatever the producers are willing to give him money for, uh, for this guy's doing it. So, so it's, it's an Italian production. One interesting thing about this movie, though, and I looked it up to see if there were multiple, um, you know, sometimes you'll have an English dubbing and an Italian dubbing. This one, as far as I could tell, everyone was speaking English, okay. and yet the dubbing is Italian. So you still have to watch... What? Yeah. That's so weird. Sometimes in Italian productions, you'll see people doing whatever their national language is because uh-huh. they're international productions. So the actual dialogue that they recorded for the movie is in English, but for the Italian release, they dubbed it in Italian. Ev- yes. Wow. So, so you could. So the actress uh, that plays the main character, Carla uh, Gra- uh, Gravina, mm-hmm. who later would win uh, a, a, a Best Actress at Cannes for a different movie. But um, is an American actress, and she's clearly speaking in English the way her mouth's moving in the whole movie, but they dubbed Italian over her. But uh, like I said, uh, in in this case, though, everyone's speaking in English. It's dubbed in Italian. Most of the actors that I went through uh, were either either, English speakers or more known for those types of movies. Um, So in any case, uh, the... uh, the Antichrist, a.k.a. The Tempter. Mm-hmm. So this movie... Uh, Not to be confused with Lars von Trier's movie Antichrist. Correct. Yeah. 
and the Antichrist element is very tiny, which I'll get to in a minute, but kind of funny. Um, <laughs> so in this case, uh, essentially what you have here is you have a uh, young woman, probably early 20s, who is in a wheelchair. She was in an accident when she was younger uh, in which she was paralyzed and her mother was killed and her father was driving. So her father is still involved. However, we learn as the movie progresses that the doctors think that this uh, paralysis is all psychosomatic. Uh, But they can't find anything actually wrong with her that would keep her from walking, but that she... Did both the mother and father live? No, the mother died and the father's still alive. So he's got some survivor's guilt. Uh, Yes, definitely. Uh, and the daughter, of course, the, the doctors all say, well, she could walk if she wanted to. So she's going to, she's going to the psychiatrist. And here's where the disbelieving scientist part okay. comes in that I mentioned earlier, which it's, it's really kind of weird, though, because so this uh, psychiatrist who is so against explanations of the supernatural uh, does nevertheless believe in hypnotizing someone to delve into their past lives to find the solutions to mm. their problems. And he learned all this at Virginia Medical School, yeah. they tell us. so uh, Pick a lane, buddy. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so in these sessions, they're trying to cure her of her paralysis that's psychosomatic. They find out that, her, that she had an ancestor from 400 years ago who had uh, uh, given her soul over to Satan. And well, how does one find that out? We see it in flashback through the hypnotist. Were there any through written the records? Was there like a journal? There was. Okay. There was. So they can uh, verify this. They yeah. can cross-check it. Evidently. The father had hidden this knowledge <laughs> from his daughter it's about cool. it's this cool. ancestor. I've got an aunt who keeps a whole list of everyone in my family who ever made deals with the devil. It's and a, yes. And her name, Ippolita. Ip- 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 is they named her after this ancestor who was a Satan worshiper burned at the stake, and it's not clear why they did that when they knew that anyway. That's they one knew part before they named sense. her that? Yes. Okay. The father hid when, when it's exposed through the hypnotism about this ancestor. They're like, okay, well, the way to cure her is to kind of work through this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so the father says, oh, well, I hid this. Um, they had an old document yeah. that sort of explained the background of this ancestor. But this is the scientific method, though, as far as this movie is concerned. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, what, uh, that's what passes for science in this. This isn't working, and we're seeing more evidence that this might actually be a possession of some kind, mm-hmm. including a scene that rips off Rosemary's baby instead of uh, The Exorcist, where she's in the bed, and we essentially see the scene that, that will be fresh in your mind where Rosemary gets impregnated. Yes. There's a very similar scene in this movie mm-hmm. with uh, Ippolita on the bed, and she starts uh, fast uh, having this uh, hallucination right. or about her ancestor giving her soul over to Satan in the ceremony mm-hmm. of that, but then it becomes her. It's a demonic or satanic fever dream. Yep. And I should also point out that what sets her off is there's definitely some Oedipal shit going on here because Uh she gets very upset when she finds out that her father uh, has a girlfriend. And his father is uh, making love to his girlfriend in another room, and she somehow senses it and gets very angry. So Uh, not to be a dick, but that's actually the Electra complex, not the Oedipal complex. Fair enough. Tell me about some similarities. Okay. The knockoff elements. Uh, Young girl... Ex- uh, possessed by a, a little demon. bit older. So here's what they try to emphasize in the 
Exorcist, of course, there are those few moments of sexuality yep, that come right. in. The masturbating with the cross and all that. Mm-hmm. That's what they ratchet up here with this 20-year-old actress. Everything that she does is sexual filthiness, etc. cetera. Uh, there's pea soup vomit uh, that comes in at nice. one point. Um, at, at the very beginning of the movie, it's actually not her. There's some... Uh, at the beginning of the movie, there's this weird scene where people are lamenting and wanting this... Uh, uh, wanting to be cured of whatever ailment they have in front of the statue, and this one guy comes who's uh, possessed and vomits pea soup everywhere. Okay, isn't I'll... it like a a really good decision they made with these movies to make it projectile vomit instead of projectile diarrhea? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, will, I will, I will, I will posit that uh, that would make for a very entertaining <laughs> shot, though. <laughs> I mean, the the pea soup looks. Probably a little bit more like diarrhea than it does vomit, I guess, if you think about it, which I don't want to. So did the parent or guardian turn to exorcism as a last resort? Correct. So, uh, yeah, exactly. So they when did. science, okay. quote unquote, as far as this movie goes, fails, mm-hmm. uh, at, then they finally at the last uh, moment turn to, she has she has a, a possession moment at the um, dinner table. And, and so does that the was exorcist die? Uh, no, the exorcist does not die. In this case, the exorcist comes in in very much in similar fashion to the way that Max von Sydow's character comes in. He's not in a lot of the movie, and then he shows up to save the day at the end. Okay. Um, defeats the demon, but then when in defeating the demon, it runs out of the house, and then the father and the brother, who, and this is an important part where the Antichrist part comes in, although it doesn't have anything to do with the exorcist, but uh, she seduced her brother and fucked him and is preg- impregnated with the Antichrist okay. uh, by her brother. That's anyway, like- so that's where it's not similar in that there's not the deaths of the exorcist and all that. But this thing totally you know, was trying to cash in on the oh, popularity sure. of that movie as the Italians are wanting well, to do. Well, I'm about, about to hit you back with another Italian film. You saw this one, Todd. Exorcism. Mm. It's just called Exorcism. I think it's called Exorcismo. They were like, let's just drop the the T yeah. and put another Exorcismo. consonant in there. <laughs> From 1975, it's directed by Juan Bosch, starring Paul Anache, Maria Persky, Maria Costi and Mercedes Molina. I like that one. Mercedes Mer- oh, Molina. Oh, she was cute. Mm. Travis, you would love these movies. Yeah. These knockoffs are great. They've got a good booby count. I mean, my first note from this movie, lots of nudity, satanic ritual. ritual. So the film kicks off with an auto automobile crash with no character buildup. You're just supposed to accept that this person died in a car crash. There is a uh, the whole element of Satanism as a pretext to use drugs. It's like they you've got to worship Satan. Well, they're hippies in, in order this too, to yeah. do the drugs. So it, that was big a big part of this. And uh, then you have to do the drugs to worship yeah. Satan, man. Mm-hmm. So the big plot of this movie is uh, you have a a a woman who a young girl who is possessed by the spirit of her father. The spirit of her own father. Her father, yes. Not and, a priest, her and, and, biological and, and, father. Her biological father. And really, uh, the reason that he did this, the reason he possessed her, he just wanted to bitch his wife out for putting him in an institution. That's the that's the beef. And I, I watched this I movie this, this is morning. completely fair. I think he was justified in his actions. Well, and, well, and I've watched this movie this morning, and that element was so ignored 
through the most of the movie yes. that I forgot about it. Like, yeah, I, I like, I mean, oh, I'm yeah. watching this movie and it's just like this a lot of ridiculous exorcism and and bitching and being mean to one another. Uh-huh. And ultimately, you're wondering why. And then finally, it comes out he, the confrontation scene, and you're like, "Well, well that was a lot." Uh-huh. Much to do about nothing. But anyway. It's some probably other, a metaphor, like their um, marital strife. Some textural elements for this uh, that you'll enjoy. Most of the women in the film look like housekeepers. Todd, did you pick up on this? The, the costumes? They all look like they could easily be housekeepers. Right. I couldn't tell who was the help and who were, who lived at the home. It was really confusing. <laughs> the cops uh, bust a satanic ritual in this. There's more nudity. Even mm. even more. I'm back on board. Uh, Colonel Kurtz jumps out of a window. Uh, right. The guy looks like Colonel Kurtz. Uh, anyway. Well, the way they, made, they tried to make her look when she gets full-on possessed is certainly not even trying to hide the fact that it's ripping off the exorcist. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. They, they completely just aped it 100%. Uh, the exorcism itself takes place in the last 10 minutes of the film. Like, you're subjected to this bore. They bury the lead. Oh, totally. Uh, at the end of the film, the demon jumps into the dog. The dog dies. My note says, rolls over the girl. She's fine. She goes to sleep. The end. Yeah, they don't even really give you much resolution after yeah. that. Um, we don't see what happens to her after that or anything. But in terms um, of the exorcist litmus test that we've uh-huh. established... Does it feature a young girl who's possessed? Yes. Uh, the guardian turns to religion as a last resort? No. The complete opposite. They dive headlong into religion. Yep. Uh, borrowed effects, the phantom wounds, the scratches, the uh, makeup effects, absolutely. Uh, does the exorcist die? No, but the dog does. Yeah. So he's the, he's the Jason Miller Karras character. <laughs> Did you guys notice that there's a lot of, in a lot of these movies, there is always a pet? Yeah. It's almost like a harbinger of... Yeah, or a sacrificial lamb kind of character. And the animals always know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. That happens a lot. Uh, All right, so that's going to take care of our first round of knockoffs. Uh Uh, Travis, yours is interesting. Uh, I expect more... Oh, you, you liked you? my first one? It was interesting. Well, yeah. just wait until you hear this next one. Okay. Are you ready for no, it? No, no, no. We're going to okay. take an intermission. Okay. So uh, hold on to that uh-huh. because we're about to say, Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby and get ourselves some pea soup, holy water, and Rosarita's refried beans. <laughs> Yum, yum. It's time for a tasty and refreshing snack. We promise to satisfy your hunger, your thirst, your sweet tooth. So visit our refreshment center now. Let's go. And we are back. I peed in the yard. We all did. Yeah, but I had my head around backwards watching you two do it. <laughs> it was just spinning. <laughs> it was we had a, a trinity uh, of... Uh, <laughs> Mm-hmm. The urinary on. trinity. Yeah. All right. As we like to do after the break, we like to do beer check-ins. Yay! And we, two of you, brought some some brought your A games. I already brought one out, but we've got two more to go. Travis, what do you have? Uh, we've got the newest edition of the Oktoberfest or Fest beer, and it's a collaboration between Sierra Nevada and Carewider. 
sounds German. I think it's legit. You tasted it. Yeah, liked it. Liked it a lot. What do you think? It was good. Uh, um, and while I'm pouring this, I will tell you a little bit about mine, which was the company called Burial. It's mm-hmm. a West Coast IPA. And please, Sean, read the title because it was long and I can't remember it. This is where you will find yourself. Right. I thought it was pretty tasty. For me, um, you, you, with with regards to Burial, you just can't beat Skillet. Skillet. Mm. Skillet is the bomb. All right, we're going to jump back into it. We're in it. To, in it win to win it. it. And Travisito, you're up with your second Exorcist knockoff. And this is going to be the controversial one, guys. Uh, but I just want you to put on your optimism caps and your... Open uh, your mind. Open your mind. And bear with me because I think that the 1982 movie Poltergeist was somewhat influenced by The Exorcist. Hmm. Of course, Poltergeist... Directed by Toby Hooper and written by Steven Spielberg, amongst others. It's got an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. Strange and creepy happenings beset an average California family, the Freelings. Steve, played by Craig T. Nelson, who was old in 1982 somehow. Is he still alive? Yes. Uh, Diane, played by Sean's favorite, Joe Beth Williams. And I have to agree, in this one, she's kind of hot. Super hot. And teenage Dana, played by Dominic Dunn. Eight-year-old Robbie, played by Oliver Robbins. And five-year-old Carol Ann, played by Heather O'Rourke. When ghosts commune with them through the television set, initially friendly and playful, the spirits turn unexpectedly menacing and when Carol Ann goes missing, Steve and Diane turn to a parapsychologist and eventually an exorcist to help uh, with the situation. Dr. Lesh calls in Tangina Barons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> played by um, Zelda Rubenstein. And so she is the spiritual medium um, the de facto exorcist in this situation who is trying to um, exorcise the demons from this house. And I think we would all agree, right? We would all agree that the house in this film is a character unto itself. And the house itself is possessed. And Zelda Rubenstein shows up with the intention of exercising the demons from this house. Another quick note about her. I saw her in a movie recently from 2009 called Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. And it was supposed to be a franchise that never got off the ground. Really good meta horror way before Cabin in the Woods. Um, It starts out as a mockumentary and then switches to a straight-up slasher. At, literally at the point where the documentary crew is like, all right, documentary's over, because they get freaked out. And then it switches style completely. Highly recommend that movie. Some other ways in which the uh, Exorcist influenced Poltergeist. Obviously, we've got supernatural themes and demonic possession. In this case, possession of the house. It's nine-tenths of the law, Sean. Okay. Uh, We also have religious imagery and symbolism. Now, uh, in this case, it's more of a, like, indigenous people spirituality. They establish that the reason for all of these uh, happenings are because the subdivision that they built 
on was built on an Indian burial ground, and they moved the headstones, but they didn't move the bodies. Okay. And they never really establish a secure connection between that. Like, are these spirits in the house uh, the spirits of Native American ancestors? <clears throat> or is it just that it has become like a vortex of menacing presence? You have a young girl at the center of it all. Correct. Go through the list. So young girl at the center of it all. Uh-huh. Uh, the guardian, the parents turn to religion as a last resort. That's kind, That's of, kind of sort of what happens. First they go with the paranormal psychologist. Yep. Yep. Then okay. they go okay. to the spiritualist. Uh, they did not, at least I can't think of any borrowed special effects. Uh, okay. Well, you do have um, people not being in control of their own bodies. Well, sure. There's the scene where Joe Beth Williams gets sucked up to the ceiling and she um, very seductively humps the ceiling. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite parts wearing of Wearing that movie. t-shirt with the numbers on it. Yes. Yeah. It's, a, it's like a football jersey. Yeah. Uh, what else? Does the exorcist die? Negative. Negative no. in the movie, but in, in real, real life, life. she has passed away. Now, she <sighs> did... Zelda Rubinstein did show up in multiple sequels, and that's another parallel. Both of these films spawned an entire franchise of sequels. All right, so it was a bit of a stretch. But All right, I, what else? Was, gonna, is there more? No, that's it. I, oh, okay. I, I'm not going to kick you out for that. I, all, I right. all right. It was a stretch. Okay. Yes. All right, so uh, bring us back down to earth there, Todd. <laughs> My next one, it's a Mexican film, uh, produced film called Al, uh, Alucarda. From 1977, the director Juan Lopez Montezuma, famous director in Mexico for horror and suspense type movies, um, and um, and so this is one that I, the, the reason I chose this one was because it popped up on one of those you know you Google Exorcist knockoffs right. or a few lists, and this one was on there and it sounded kind of interesting. And I'm going to go ahead and say that's what they call Montezuma's Revenge. I, it, I thought that as soon as I saw that guy's name, I was waiting for the, a crack about that. But yeah, <laughs> I don't really think it's fair, though, to lump this in with the exorcist knockoff. There is an exorcism that happens in the movie, but it is pretty brief. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really more of a folk horror. It's set in 1850. Um, okay. And nice. uh, you see in the opening scene, uh, this mother gives birth to her daughter, uh, Alucarda, uh, and gives Alucarda to this kind of weird looking monk guy. Uh, to save him because it's implied, you never know for sure, but she's worried about Satan doing something to her. She ends up dying within this uh, church, and there's like this evil demonic statue shown, a la kind of the beginning of The Exorcist. So there is that similarity where you have that statue at the very beginning. Fifteen years later, uh, Alucarda has been an orphan in this, uh, uh, what do they call a nunnery? It's not a nunnery. What do they call them? Convent. Convent. There you go. Another, a fellow 15-year-old orphan shows up named Justine, and Ali Carter becomes infatuated with her. They become friends. Um, there's a lesbian thing that's implied. Nice. Uh, a lot yeah. Of, yeah mm-hmm, lots of nudity. Eventually, uh, Alia Carter, uh, they, come, they come across the monk that gave her to the, um, to the orphanage initially. She doesn't know it's him, though, because she was a baby, of course. He gives her this amulet that apparently is implied has some sort of satanic properties, Eventually, it, I'll be honest with you, it didn't make a lot of sense, but at some point, they the, the girls make the equivalent of a blood oath with one another. Fast forward to the scene in the church. 
Justine passes out, and Al Yukata gets very angry, and then the possession part comes in, and it's very clear, so the Satan part comes mm-hmm. in. Uh, there's a scene where they try to seduce a priest who's trying to uh, help them. He's trying to figure out what's wrong with them. Um, so there are the priests there involved. Uh, one of the priests decides they need to do an exorcism, and he makes this decision, by the way, in a scene where the priest and the nuns are all flagellating themselves. Nice. Uh, because they've... They, they For the listeners, them. it's not as sexy yeah. as it sounds. Yeah, no. There's a lot of nudity in this thing, though, by the way. Um, but uh, they're flagellating themselves because they blame... They don't blame the girls. They blame themselves for somehow inviting this demonic spirit amongst themselves. So they decide they have to do an nice. exorcism. Catholic guilt. It's all yes, your Catholic fault. Catholic guilt. Love it. Exactly. So they do this exorcism. Justine is bound to this thing... I don't know. It wasn't a cross or anything, but something. And she ends up dying during the exorcism. Mm. And so now Alia Carta is really pissed. And then it turns into Carrie. Uh, <laughs> seriously, she starts setting fire to people. People They're come in to try. You. People start coming into the convent where she is trying to uh, subdue her, get her under control, and she's setting them on fire, blowing them up, and all this stuff. So it really is a lot like Carrie. At one point, oh by the oh Justine gets uh, killed in this exorcism and then uh, someone uh, one of the nuns opens up her coffin and she's uh, transformed into a vampire and then she uh, bites the neck of the of the nun anyway um, so I'm glad to know that the movie's very focused on its mission (laughs) correct Mm -hmm. so as you could probably tell from my description I wouldn't say that this is really an exorcist knockoff other than I mean there is an exorcism that takes place uh, there are priests who do the exorcism. Mm-hmm. There's a possession of a young girl, although a bit older, of more sexual maturity than uh, Reagan uh, is in this film. Um, but other than that, it's more of like a, ho- a folk horror type of film. So, so I would say very low. They said we on... might get hail today. I think we're getting hail right now. Yeah. Mm. Wow. I don't think I don't think the Lord likes this episode. I know uh, that's crazy. Well, this might be like the give scene, them hail. Uh, <laughs> this might be like the scene in the Omen, uh, where the priest gets caught in a random storm, and is something going to come through here and impale us? One of your trees out there? Or? Did you see the season slash possibly series finale of the Righteous Gemstones? No. With their fucking plague of locusts at the end. <laughs> That's awesome. It's great. Um, All right. Anyway, Alucard is more of actually probably more of a nun exploitation. Okay. Than a, okay. Than an exorcism film. That's what it sounds film, like. But very low on the exorcism ripoff scale. So. Okay. Um, I'm going to talk about Beyond the Door from 1974. Ugh. This was sued by Warner Brothers, and the company that produced it, an Italian company, was forced to pay Warner Brothers an undisclosed amount of money. So that sets the scene. Yeah. It's directed by Ovidio G. Asinitis. Yep. The same guy who directed. That's an unfortunate name. Nailed it. He's the same guy who directed Tentacles, who I talked about. Sean's favorite movie. In the Jaws movie. Uh, Asinitis sounds like some kind of unfortunate, like, relative. Medical condition. IBS or something like that. I've got the Asiitis. It was co-directed with uh, Roberto Dettore Piazzoli. Piazzole. Mm-hmm. Bobby the Bull in the Plaza is what that means. So it stars Juliet Mills, sister of Haley Mills. Wow. Okay. <clears throat> was she her twin sister? She was not a twin. Did we have this I conversation? Asked, yeah. We had this conversation. Okay. I, asked, uh, I asked him the same question yeah. when he mentioned this. Uh, to me also, an movie. actor named Richard Johnson and Gabrielle Latvia. Wait, his name was Dick Johnson? Dick Johnson. 
Okay. Whew, this one's a good one. Uh, <clears throat> so Juliet Mills is the one who's possessed in this film. She's got two children already. She's pregnant in this movie mm-hmm. and is conflicted. She decides that she wants to have an abortion. Mm. Then she changes her mind. No, I'm going to have the kids. Then somebody says, maybe you should have an abortion. It's unclear as to why there's so when much. When it came down to it, she decided on a hot tub baby. Yeah. It's unclear why there's so much deliberation. Uh, but anyway, the uh, the introduction of the movie is int- it, it, it's Satan. It's the voice of Satan. I think he even introduces himself as Satan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty uh, on the nose there. Um, Old scratch. Being an Italian film with dubbed English actors, their young daughter, who could not be over the age of eight, is voiced by an adult-ass woman. Oh, no. (laughs) Yes. And she's using hip, cool lingo all through the movie. So is she supposed to be older? No. Because, like, I think that... No. Inversely, I think Linda Blair was older than she was supposed to be in The Exorcist. Here's an example of some of the dialogue. She tells her young brother, who's like maybe four years old, if you keep crying, you're going to go on a real bad trip. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) What year is this? 74. All right, perfect. (laughs) Yes. Um, At one point, the mother does slap the kid in the face, so hooray. You got that? You got a thumbs up. Is there a red mark Mm -hmm. left on the cheek? I don't know. didn't see that part. Uh, the son has an imaginary friend who can move objects in the house, so now the creepiness starts mm-hmm. to set in. All right, so the big thing that you need to know about this movie is that the the young daughter, who's a, uh, voiced by an adult woman, has a poster of Campbell's green pea soup oh, on the wall. good reference. And at some point, they're leaving the house like they're like, we got to get out of here. She throws two cans of Campbell's green pea soup in her lunchbox. Mm-hmm. Okay, first of all, what fucked up kid... Just two takes cans, cans of, soup. of soup. Is she just going to eat it out of yeah. the can? But obviously a nod like to the beans in the theater. Yeah. Uh, there's a weird bearded man who's following him, and it turns out that he is the uh, ex-husband of uh, Mills in this film. But he also seems kind of weird. Like maybe he's the devil. So they kind of throw mm-hmm. that red herring at you. Uh, and he actually intervenes because the husband's almost hit by a moving truck, and then you're then you're brought on board that maybe. This guy is actually a good guy. Uh, whatever. Because he almost gets yep. killed. There is a cool effect, though, where uh, Haley almost said Haley Mills, mm-hmm. where Juliet Mills has kind of like this possession and the left side of her face goes limp like she's having a stroke. Bell's palsy. It's, I don't know how they did it. It looked real. Like, they actually gave her Bell's palsy. Like, like she has her one eye is completely going crazy on the right, her left eye is like off in the distance. That's wild. Yeah, I'm like... Some kind of electroshock shit. I was like, whoa, that's a good effect. (laughs) I was really impressed with that. There is green vomit, of course, as Mm -hmm. as they, you know... gotta. Pretty much had to. She's totally possessed. She's in a straitjacket the whole time. Mm -hmm. She convinces her husband to get her out of the straitjacket at one point. She flings him around the room with her mind. (laughs) I think that gay people who are still in the closet should say that they're in a straitjacket. Nice. that's, That's pretty good. Uh, Dimitri is the name of her ex-husband. While the husband's getting flung around the room with by her mind because he stupidly let her out of the straitjacket, Dimitri's in the next room just sitting there like, yeah, you know, no big deal. There's a lot of exposition in the film at the end, which I don't mm-hmm. understand why you would want to lose your audience. But uh, it ends with the doctor returning uh, to seeing Mills sleeping peacefully. Um, there's something rolled up in her bedsheet. 
The next scene, the family's on a ferry boat ride. The son, it opens, it, it, the son has like a little gift. He doesn't know, we don't know where, it, the viewer, we don't know where it's come from. Is it a it's, relic? It's wrapped in black wrapping paper. He opens it, it's a red car. And it matches the red car from the very beginning of the movie where what turns out to be her ex-husband, Dimitri, was the accident that he was in. The kid tosses the fucking thing overboard <laughs> and Dimitri dies and the kid turns around, looks at the camera, he's got glowing eyes. It's really cheesy. Yeah. It's like yeah. any kind of any kind of goodwill they got from the audience, they completely lose it in the last few minutes of the movie. We're gonna go for it. So, uh, victim as a young woman, yes. Uh spouse turning to religion as a last resort, not really. Uh, borrowed gore, yes, in spades. This one borrows the mm-hmm. gore to the point of being so on the nose as to point out the daughter likes green pea soup. Mm-hmm. And did the exorcist die? Yeah, he kind of did in a fashion because of the whole thing. Behind the door. Behind All the right. door, 1974. Travis, you're up. All right, this is round three. This is round three, the final round. All right, so I'm going with a very recent movie called The Pope's Exorcist. Oh, God! And this stars one gladiator of an actor... Named Russell Crowe. A very fat, swollen gladiator. Yeah, he. I mean, he, he looks okay. He's he, he looks his age. This movie is based on the life story of the actual exorcist for the Diocese of Rome. A guy named uh, Gabriel Amorth, which sounds a lot like death. Amorth. It sounds like it's a reference to death, but that's his real name. There's a lot of similarities. It, yes, it is a young person, but it's a boy who gets possessed. Um, there's the Catholic, very much Catholic very uh, aspect of it. Uh, but what was really interesting to me is I found an article in Fortune magazine that explains how The Exorcist influenced this guy to become an exorcist yeah all right so not only was the real life pope's exorcist a fan of the 1973 movie it made his career possible a historian reveals and this was written by joseph p laycock um and it came out on may 4th 2023 On April 14th, 2023, Sony Pictures released The Pope's Exorcist, a horror film inspired by the life of Reverend Gabriel Amorth. Amorth served as the exorcist for the Diocese of Rome from 1986 until his death in 2016. So that's 30 years, right? Uh, He was 91 when he died in 2016. Catholic exorcism was once extremely rare in the United States and much of Europe, and Amorth played a major role in normalizing the practice. Giving into the hysteria, you meant. In 1990, he founded the International Association of Exorcists, or the IAE, a Catholic group that advocates for the practice of exorcism and trains new exorcists. This group has been critical of the way Amorth and his ministry are portrayed in the film. In March, the IAE released a statement condemning the film as splatter horror. More importantly, the IAE warned that the film sensationalized exorcism and failed to convey the suffering of those in need of this ritual. Amorth sometimes boasted of having performed as many as 160,000 exorcisms. Uh. He also attracted controversy for saying 
yoga and Harry Potter books can cause demonic possession. In his autobiography, An Exorcist Tells His Story, Amorth wrote, It is thanks to movies that we find a renewed interest in exorcism. Exorcism made a comeback because horror movies helped spark public demand for the ritual. Ritual. To wrap it up, The Exorcist was directed by Oscar-winning director William Friedkin. A year after Amorth's death, Friedkin unveiled his 2017 documentary, The Devil and Father Amorth, showing Amorth performing an actual exorcism. Friedkin, the director of The Exorcist, made a documentary about a guy whose life was influenced by the movie The Exorcist. You mean a guy who cashed in a career off The Mm -hmm. Exorcist. Yeah. What a piece of shit. This guy sucks balls. Also, um, he doesn't look anything like Russell Crowe. If you look at him, he kind of looks like what a he demon. Fucking looks like. He's a piece of crap is what yeah. he is. <laughs> he fucking parlayed hysteria from a film into a goddamn career. He's a 30-year career. He's a piece of shit. Just he's like the couple, he's dead Just now. like the real-life couple from The Conjuring. Yeah, exactly. And this movie sucks balls, too. You watched it? Oh my God! Russell Crowe doing an Italian accent. Yeah. It's like a me talking to you right it's now. It's a spicy meatball. It's a ball. terrible. It's an offensive. <laughs> and they put that on fucking film. They put it on blast. It's terrible. <laughs> God. So that's my uh, first entry into round. I'm glad three. you brought it up. I'm glad yeah. you brought it up because I did watch this and I was offended. And I don't yeah. even give a fuck all about Catholics or mm-hmm. exorcisms or any of that. What shit. about Italians? I don't. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, it, it is funny how much I Italian Italian directors and Italian cinema come up in this podcast. Yeah, uh, because for a while it was <coughs> the fucking wild west. Yeah. Or Italy and cinema. Yeah. Uh, the, the contribution can't be denied, absolutely. But uh, in terms of this particular subject matter, it's yeah. just <sighs> blind leading the blind, yep. just feeding into hysteria. Well, I'm glad that I mentioned that. I'm to, glad you uh, did. Thank you for bringing that in. Really you, get you worked up. You finished strong, too. Yeah. Todd. All right. My last one is completely nuts. And... Uh, Maybe one of the more nutty mainstream or films get a mainstream release ever, mm-hmm. uh, called The Manito from yeah. 1978. It was directed by this game William Girdler, who came up a couple weeks ago on the Jaws knockoff episode because he directed Grizzly. Uh, oh, okay. About. He also directed a movie called Day of the Animals, which is another kind of Jawsy type movie, and it stars Tony Curtis uh, as Harry, who is a uh, kind of a swindler. He uh, He's a fortune teller. For He's a, a flimflam man. Yep, but he is an admit. But he admittedly uh, is, you know, a flimflam man. I will borrow your term. He puts on a fake mustache when his clients come over. All the clients that we see in the movie are old, rich ladies, um, and he puts on like a you know a robe with you know astrological signs on it and that kind of thing. Anyway, uh, so so there is some tongue and cheek elements to this. But um, so in the movie, uh, we find out right away we go to a hospital and uh, this woman who we find out later is a former girlfriend of the Tony Curtis character, Harry, Mm -hmm. has this growth on her, the back of her neck. This becomes her possession later, we find out. The growth is Jamie Lee Curtis. It's growth goo. (laughs) Growth goo. (laughs) So uh, the doctors, so we have, so uh, we have the scientists dot slash doctors 
who are trying to figure out using modern medicine uh, what's wrong with her with the scroth on her neck. Mm-hmm. They go and try to pr- perform on it to remove it because they don't really know what it is, but they don't think they think it'll be fine to remove. I'll it. tell you one thing though: it's not a tumor. Yes. <laughs> Boys have a penis. Girls have a oh, wrong movie. Um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> no, the same. That's same the right movie. movie. Yeah. Same movie. <laughs> that movie, but yeah. Um, they So they go to perform surgery and remove this tumor or whatever Goiter. they think it is Goiter. on the back of her neck. Yeah, the doctors can't figure out what the hell it is. When they try to do it, the doctor who's performing the surgery has his own hand turned against him and cuts himself, and then they have to quickly get everyone out of the room, and of course the surgery's a failure. All right. So we He was fi- just really emo. Yeah. Despite having his own hand taken and to cut himself, this doctor is very slow to accept that there's something otherworldly going okay. on here. But anyway, we find out as the movie goes on uh, this woman is very scared about what's going on with her, understandably. So she goes to see Harry, her former boyfriend, um, and they establish their close relationship by having um, about a two-minute period where they're going on a date and they play tinkly music and stuff like yeah. that. So that way you care about their relationship. Fast forward, it takes them a while, but eventually they find out that this growth on her neck is a 400-year-old uh, Indian medicine man. Whoa! Has, <laughs> he's in there. He is so so. The way that it works, evidently, and and it's not entirely doesn't entirely make sense. But what medicine men apparently can do is, um, they can, whenever they're in the time period that they're currently in, if they're threatened, they can either go into the future or the past. And or into somebody's neck. Yeah, and attach <laughs> themselves to a host. So we're back to Alien. Parasite. Um, apparently. And Quantum yeah. Leap. Yeah, right. Um, but uh, this is, so it's essentially a possession because of the, it is a supernatural, it's this person from 400 years in the past, right? This uh, witch doctor. Um, they call him a witch doctor, by the way. <laughs> I think guru would be more appropriate. Right. Um, they also Wait, use, is it India or Native American? Well, in Native American, but they uh, they use the word Indian, and okay. the and the Indians call themselves Indian. That's why okay. I'm using that term. So, for if anyone is curious, why I'm not saying Native, then American, I think we why. should go with shaman. Uh, shaman. That's yeah. not what they. But in the movie, they they call that's what they were. Well, called. they didn't yeah. consult me. Yeah, I know. They call them it's witch doctor in this movie, and Indian is the term that's used. Okay, now so you started with the phrase medicine man, and now you've gone to witch doctor. Yeah, they, they, well, yeah, medicine man is uh, does come up. Witch doctor is what they settle on, and okay. actually, it's interesting. We're talking about similarities from The Exorcist. So there's actually a line in The Exorcist where she's sitting at a table with all these experts who can't figure out what's wrong with her, and she says the line, "She being a Chris." Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the mother of Reagan. You're telling me I should take my daughter to a witch doctor? And so apparently uh, Girdler, the director of this, uh, heard that line and said, wow, that's a great idea. Um, because that's <laughs> this movie is The Exorcist, but with a witch doctor and the story takes and a turn, yeah. mysticism instead, or Native American mysticism, okay. if you prefer, I like it. instead of Catholic. I'm um, on board. I, I need to backtrack just a little bit. There's a seance. So... <laughs> Tony Curtis goes to some of his friends in his business. Uh, yeah. They have a seance, and there's actually a pretty cool effect where they, they're trying to figure out what's possessed her, and the head of the witch doctor that's possessed her comes through the table. And it's kind of creepy. It's actually a pretty cool effect. Anyway, so that's how they know that they need to consult um, someone to 
get rid of this thing and uh, only a witch doctor can beat another witch doctor. All right, so y'all, it gets really bonkers. So all of the, the exorcism... <laughs> Wait, now it's getting there's bonkers? There's more? <laughs> so the exorcism takes place in, the, in a hospital. Uh-huh. So uh, the doctors have finally accepted this, and so they're going to let the witch doctor come in. All right, go thing. ahead. Doctor's like, thing. all right, um, I accept it, finally. They come in. Tony Curtis has to be his assistant. So it's kind of like, you know, John's uh, Singing Rock is essentially the um, the Max Van Seedow character. Yes. And Tony Curtis is the Jason Miller character as the, as the mm-hmm. assistant to help him. And um, we see a birth scene where, and it's crazy, but the, we see the birth scene where you, the you medicine man comes out of the boil on the neck. <laughs> what and the it's, fuck, It's man. played by two little people. Oh, who, my God. Yeah, One uh, of two, them two, two was little people. Zelda Rubenstein. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were actually, uh, both of these, both of the little people were apparently stuntmen. Um, who they they were definitely play, stunted. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Travis. So anyway, John Singing Rock and this little person go head to head mm. for the, you know, they're trying to save the life, of course, of Tony Curtis's girlfriend. And I'm going to fast forward to the to the end here. There's all kinds of stuff. So, oh, we weren't at t- the end? <laughs> yeah. So t- Tony Curtis's girlfriend is the one who finally uh, stops things. For some reason, she's buck naked in her hospital bed, and so she yeah. sits up with her breast hanging out yeah. and goes to battle with the... Uh, and they end up in outer space somehow. And they're shooting lasers at each other. What the and, fuck, man? I don't know. And, uh, this movie's and fucking she, insane. And dude. she ends up defeating... Um, she ends up defeating uh, this character. And his uh, he had a... Um, they had a name for it. the. Uh, they called him uh, Miss Kwamasa, who it turned out he was like the most powerful of all the witch, uh, doctors. witch doctors from the past. Oh my god! Um, he was. Like, I think the uh, director lost his freaking mind. Yeah. John yeah. Singing Rock said that he was. You know, he was John like, Cena he was in the like Rock. Your, he was like your Christian Jesus. Uh, is was his line about this hmm. character? The movie's absolutely insane. Um, you don't I, say. I recommend everyone. I'm see now this insane movie. hearing yeah. your description yeah. of it. All right, last movie. This one is called The Return of the Exorcist. And it's not a sequel to The Exorcist. No, it's from 1975. It's another Italian film directed by Angelo Panaccio and Luca Damiano. I think it's pronounced Pinocchio. Pinocchio. Uh, Starring Richard Conti, who is actually a legit actor. Yep, he is. uh, As well as Francois Prevost and Elizabeth Tulin. That's not uncommon in the Italian knockoffs. They will very often hire mm-hmm. an American actor. Jack Palance shows up in mm-hmm. a lot of oh, these. Oh, sure, yeah, um, yeah. You know, Richard Conti. All right, so what you need to know about this movie is that it is bordering on nunsploitation. Mm-hmm. A young man is possessed, and his sister is a nun, and she kind of comes to his aid and tries to get him back on the path and get the demon out. Sean, you know why they call them nuns, right? Why? Because they don't get none. They don't get none. But this particular nun was hot as hell. I looked up her IMDb. She did a lot of softcore uh, Italian porn. Sweet. Yeah. Red Wearing the habit? She's a natural... No, no, no. She's a natural redhead. One thing I want to give her credit for, she shaved her head for this role. Like, at one point, her habit... But not the carpet. Hey, no, she did not. And at one point, the habit comes off. 
the habit comes off and she's got the shaved head. And I was like, wow, that's really a commitment to the role there for this piece of shit, you know, B movie. Well, that's similar to Vanessa Redgrave and the Devils and other. Or I like or, the Devils, man. Oh, that's a great. Or Rosemary and yeah. Rosemary's Baby with her yes. mod haircut. I think she did that anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so this movie. Uh, you've got another satanic cult with a naked chick on the table. The whole sacrifice Perfect. bullshit. It's a big giggly orgy. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're all laughing. They're all laughing and they probably fun. ate some fungus. Yeah. Oh God. There's some bad camera work in this movie. <laughs> uh, there's a priest in this film. His whole bottom teeth are missing, which I thought I found hmm. very distracting. I don't know why. Where do they find this guy? He was talking jibber jabber. Because he couldn't enunciate because he had no <laughs> lower fucking teeth. So check this out. This is really weird. So the young man is possessed by the spirit of a woman, mm-hmm. but he, but the, but the spirit it's is called marriage. Wait a minute. But the spirit's voiced by a man. Whoa. And it reverbs from nowhere. Like the voice comes from like off camera. Some voice of God it's shit. Weird. It's weird, man. But ultimately, and I'm going to keep this one brief, is the victim a young woman? No. The guardian slash, in this case, sibling, does she turn to religion as a last resort? No, it's the first choice. Uh, does the, Do they borrow gore from uh, the exorcist? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, does the exorcist die? Yes, in a fashion. The, the sister was not the exorcist. She was just the nun. Uh-huh. But she takes on the, uh, the, the spirit and ultimately throws herself off a cliff and kills herself, ultimately ending the cycle. It was a fashion statement. Yeah, it was a fashion statement. Good call, man. Uh, but yeah, the, the Return of the Exorcist, uh, one of those cleverly titled movies to obviously capitalize mm-hmm. on the popularity. So some dumbass who doesn't know how to read would say, oh, this is a sequel. We'll go see the sequel. How is there not a physical fitness guru called The Exorcist? <laughs> Maybe there was. And I think that's an assignment for you uh, to work on. I'm on it. All right. So that's going to do it. Uh, I think that's enough talk about these knockoffs. There mm-hmm. are a ton of them. Tons. And we didn't even talk about the exorcism of Emily, Emily Rose. Rose and all of the other spinoffs mm-hmm. from that. I was going to say that you know this movie obviously has such an impact on the landscape of movies and film if you go on Tubi or any of these other free mm-hmm. movie services and start typing exorcist or exorcism, you're going to get some crazy. You're going to get so many movies, as many as we did with Jaws and Sharks and mm-hmm. all of those. There's just as many with this. It's an easy movie to make for any aspiring filmmaker or somebody who just wants to cash in. And quick. there's already a blueprint in place. Right. There's a template easily duplicated and, and copied. And so the exorcist again is a fucking great movie yes but for uh, anybody who wants to just kind of do like a quick you know copy of it you take the last the third act and stretch it into an hour and a half and you've got yourself a film and that's essentially what most of these movies are is there's you just Issue the whole character development, any kind of build up, and go straight for the gusto. And that's the part that made The Exorcist a great movie was the part that they skip over, um, which is the part where they make you actually care about the characters, yeah. and 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 uh, then you're and scandalized, sympathy and empathy totally scandalized them, yeah. by the end. Absolutely, yeah. this movie is uh, one of those touchstones for film. I think in terms of how to do horror right, and there are others around the same time we were just yeah. talking about Rosemary's Baby. There are plenty of others that kind of represent that where 
somebody had a really great movie, a mm-hmm. great film in mind with supernatural horror elements right. and was able to develop into something much bigger. I and think one thing that we glossed over, we mentioned it briefly, was that there's a lot of over-sexualization in these movies. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think it probably amounts to the taboo of possession. Like, when you're super horny, you must be possessed by the devil, <laughs> Hysteria. Right? I mean, yes. that's the whole thing about hysteria. It was, yeah. was based around women in... It's a good thing they made that machine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. I think the October's been fun. I like these, yeah, man. these knockoffs. They've been yeah. a lot of fun to watch. There've been we some fucking nailed it. Really shitty, shitty Sorry, movies. Sorry, Friedkin nailed it. Friedkin I, I got, got kind of lucky with the ones I picked because they're most of them. I was like thoroughly enjoying myself, even though they were yeah. terrible movies. Mm-hmm. I was like, I kind of enjoy this. I didn't really pick a, other than maybe one or two that were like a slog to get. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you. There was definitely <clears throat> some films that were technically knockoffs of the movie we were talking about but we found ourselves enjoying them yeah and so maybe that's what separates the schlock from mm-hmm. the shaft totally <laughs> the schlock from the shaft <laughs> yes. oh wow wow okay all right um we got a few minutes uh anybody got any plugs anything you've already let off with a plug but anything cool that you've plug. seen that you want to talk about very briefly i just saw i was actually planning to go see the new exorcist movie this week just mm-hmm. since we were doing the episode but then i saw that a movie that i thought that i had missed uh, was still at the our local theater what was it dumb money Dumb Money, okay. And I really like that. So Dumb Money a, is... It's uh, a parody, right? Or a no, satire? No, no. no so uh, it's it's about uh, a few... So a few years back, you may have seen in the news the whole thing surrounding GameStop. Yeah. The investors. Mm-hmm. The stonks. So, yes. So that's what the movie is about. And Paul Dano is in it, uh, playing the character who... Or the guy who set all of that stuff in motion. Um, oh. Where, you know... So essentially, just, just a quick summary, but... Um, if you don't, if you don't remember what happened in that case, uh, Wall Street had positioned themselves betting against GameStop to lose money. So in other words, yeah, that they had was invested wild. money so that if if GameStop failed, they would make money. Well, this uh, guy that Paul Dano's character plays um, encourages average people, the Reddit just, community, yes, to just put all their money into GameStop, and it kind of screwed over the Wall Street people yeah. who then started going crazy. And uh, Seth Rogen plays. The guy that runs no the, uh, he, the that plays uh, yeah that plays one of these billionaires yeah. and he does a great job in the role. Okay, I gotta um, see this. One of uh, one of the Cinema Chop Shop's former guests, who I will not name on this episode, cashed in on this. Okay, ah. yeah, a lot of people were able because what ended up happening was that stock, as you see in the film, like if you if you got in on the ground floor of that thing, you could have made a lot of money. Um, if you if you uh, you know so anyway. Um, if you're a fan of Edgar Allan Poe, I highly recommend watching the Fall of the House of Usher. Very good. Ooh, that's on the list. If yeah, you're, very if good. If you're not a fan of, Al- of Edgar Allan Poe, you'll still enjoy it, but yeah, you'll because miss a lot of the nuances. The references. The references of each episode are mm-hmm. very clever. Well, and you can rarely go wrong with Mike Flanagan, the guy behind that. Yeah. He did the house, the other, uh, every year. I the think Haunting now. and the Bly yeah. House, Bly Manor. Uh, yeah, he, he's great. His uh, partner is fantastic. I like her in this as well. Quick trivia question. Every year on the anniversary of his birth, a mystery man leaves a bottle of cognac on the grave of Edgar Allan Poe in what U.S. city? Baltimore. Baltimore, Maryland. Of course. 
All right, that's going to wrap us up for this and the uh, month of uh, knockoff films. We'll come back with a new concept in mm-hmm. a couple of weeks. And pretty soon, episode 300 of Cinema 300 Top is Shop. coming up, everybody. I hope you're ready. We're going to blow your dicks off. Yep. Please rate, review, subscribe. Follow us on the social media. We're Cinema Chop Shop on everything, oh, except for uh, YouTube, which we're Cinema Chop Shop Podcast, which Correct. some people still fucking watch that. I don't understand. They're watching a blank. It's the bots, man. <laughs> it's the bots. But anyway, uh, tell your friends about us. And also remember, too, please watch, watch Chop, Chop Retrofit. Retrofit and exercise the demons.